You're listening to Live Wild Radio, the part-time adventure podcast. Join us as we explore how outdoor adventures build mind, body, and spirit. Life after death. To the religious, it refers to the place we go after the death of our corporeal self. But as a non-believer in the theism of the afterlife, I think that this term should be applied to the living, to the ones left behind after the death of a loved one. The most difficult thing to do after the death of a significant other is to find motivation to move on without them and have a life. To change yourself and discover what it means to be singular in a world that leans towards pair bonding. Sometimes you feel estranged from the people you once felt closest to because you feel like a third wheel. Not that these people don't love and accept you, but your inherent self is different, and it changes the dynamic of the relationships. You feel the need to challenge yourself and find new interests and friends so that you don't have the reminder of your coupled self, immersing yourself into new missions in life. I've been in transition. After the initial shock of losing Rob, for a very short time, I let myself become small and weak, frail and afraid, but I remembered conversations I had had with Rob about what would happen if one of us was to go before our time. Yes, we had those conversations because it seemed important to be prepared for the inevitability of death. Most of the time when we spoke of this, it was in the context of the children already being grown and me being on my own entirely. But he did speak once that if he was not able to help me raise the children, that I should move on and try to find happiness. I told him that he was an asshole and that I would wallow in grief for the rest of my life and be alone and miss him every day. Fast forward to now, and I understand what he was trying to say to me. Do not become stagnant. Do not lose myself in grief and loss, but to find inspiration to continue to be alive. This has been challenging in many ways because you feel an incredible amount of guilt when you find that someone other than your husband piques your interest You beat yourself up inside and tell yourself that it's wrong to feel this way because you still have strong feelings for your person. You avoid contact and invert yourself to avoid dealing with the foreign feelings of like for another human being. I'm not saying that this has happened often, but when it did, it really snuck up on me and overwhelmed me. It took me a long time to sort out how to manage the reality of my situation. The reality being that Rob was no longer here and not able to provide the support and comfort that he had always done. He helped me to deal with the death of my father, a task that I never would have been able to do without him, and we both grieved a lost pregnancy together. I have needed to have a support system in place to manage the growing complexity of my new life, because the irony was, who was going to help me grieve when the only person who knew how to help me was gone, and I was grieving his loss? Working with medical professionals, they helped me manage and assess a lot of the guilt and confusion that arose in the past year. Yes, I'm not afraid or ashamed to say that I had a psychiatrist. When your best friend and husband of 24 years gets killed unexpectedly in one of the most horrible ways possible, you find all the help that you can. My mental health was important on many levels. For me to be able to manage my grief and for me to help manage my children's grief, I was responsible for the mental health of three other human beings, not just my own, and to ensure that they did not let this enormous tragedy take anything else away from them in this life. And for the record, children deal with grief in a plethora of ways, many of them entirely different than adults. All three of my children dealt with Rob's loss entirely differently. Sometimes with extreme anger and mood swings, 
sometimes with many tears and stories, and at other times with silence and avoidance, all coalescing into a highly combustible atmosphere, and within this, I had to take time to find my own mind and what I was going to do with it. That's been an excerpt from the book our guest is working on. Welcome, Amy. Thank you. Catherine. Hello. See, Amy's pretty upbeat for uh, sort of the situation she's been through. Obviously, as you can tell from, you know, what she just read, she lost her husband a couple of years ago. And we were going to talk about sort of reinventing yourself, but, you know, before talking about before the show, Amy said it's not so much even reinventing yourself as putting the pieces back together, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that you can be happy with. So before we sort of talk about you now, give us a little bit of a rundown of what your life was like before you lost your husband. Well, different phases. Rob and I started going out uh, when we were pretty young. We used to go out and camp and hike and canoe, do all that kind of fun, crazy stuff. We loved outside. We loved concerts. We loved playing and enjoying life. We did that for years. And then we decided to be a family. My daughter, I got pregnant with her. Then responsibility came along. We bought a house. I was ginormously pregnant when we bought our first house. And I could visibly see Rob's gray hair popping out of his head as he was signing (laughs) the mortgage papers. It was an immediate transition into adulting, which we both kind of fought a little bit. But we were over the moon excited that uh, we had our first small human on the way. We started our life as a family. We had our first child, then a second came along. Then the third, our oopsie baby, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's okay. That just proves we loved each other for a long time. That's okay. (laughs) uh, We got into the responsibility thing, uh, the mortgage, the bills, the, uh, the jobs. We weren't together all the time. I turned into the lady that did groceries and made sure there was toilet paper, cooked food, made sure that everybody had something to wear. I've lost so much of who I was when I started out my journey when I was a young woman. It was kind of a trickle effect. It didn't all happen all at once. Slowly over time, you just kind of dropped pieces of yourself and forgot about where you put them. It's the same with how you kind of interact with your life, I think. Uh, as you move forward, you, you lose parts, you gain parts. But I felt, as a whole, I'd lost a lot of myself. And we had been basically in kind of that whole uh, family rut, you know. The most exciting thing we talked about is like, ooh, what kind of beer are we going to get from the store, you know? <laughs> get some beer. What are we going to make for dinner? It's like, oh, I bought a new shirt. You know, like Hmm. things that were so monotonous and not really all that exciting. Like, uh, sure, we had family vacations, but camping with children is horrible. And I'm (laughs) (laughs) I'm not I'm not saying that because I love my children. They are my soul. They they give me life and they are the most amazing creatures that I've ever had the privilege to know. But when you have to take diapers and 75 pieces of clothing it really is a different thing from when you had a backpack and really tiny equipment because I remember Rob and I used to go to uh, 
the camping stores before they were really a cool thing, you know, like, and we were really proud of ourselves for being able to have all of our equipment on both of our backs. You know, that was it. But uh, when you get kids, we got a trailer. So then all of a sudden you got to learn how to drive with a trailer. It's like Rob was a fantastic at this. He took the reins. Sign of old age. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's like all of a sudden in our heads, actually, we, we were probably thinking, it's like, what are we doing? We have an RV. First, at first it was a pop-up. It wasn't horrible. It was all right. It was manageable. But then we got this monster of a beast that uh, I recently had to learn how to drive. That was one of the challenges that I gave to myself that usually that was within the first uh, couple months of uh, Rob passing was that I had this big giant trailer in my driveway what the hell am I supposed to do with this so I talked to my cousin he's like come on up he lives near Barrie way up in the middle of nowhere and there's no real back roads to get there it's all highways and horribleness and big hills because <laughs> it's near the uh the Oak Ridges moraine oh, okay. all, all that stuff up there so driving up there my truck is a standard so Challenge accepted. So my brother drove me around the block and there was parked cars everywhere and I was horrified. I'm just like, I'm going to clip the mirrors. I'm going to do it. I'm mm-hmm. going to die. I'm going to be paying for somebody else's. But anyway, I put that on the back of my truck, drove around and managed to do it. And I backed it into the driveway. I only fornicated with the driveway for about 45 minutes <laughs> to, to get it in there. I had, uh, it was... <laughs> It was very amusing for the neighbors because I will admit a couple of them were sitting on the, across the street having a beer and a smoke watching me do this. So I waved, being the sarcastic ass that I am. And uh, then I got out when I finally backed it in and I took a bow and the neighbors clapped. It was lovely. <laughs> so it was difficult, but I did it. So yeah, that was um, the change so, of camping for us. So it went from very easy, very light to complicated very quickly with the kids and everything. One of those things where it was just life. We just did it. We did whatever it took. Rob worked at a horrible job. I will say that he had a great bunch of people that he worked with, and I think that probably made it for him. But uh, he did whatever it took. But it really sucked the life out of us, both of us, because when uh, your spouse is on shift work, you're on shift work too, and your kids are on shift work. So... That was really hard on uh, our family. We made it work for the most part. We had a good life, thanks to him. I did my part. I worked a little bit. I made our house a home and took care of the kids. Everybody was dressed and fed. We're all a little overweight, so I think I did a good job. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But um, it all changed when uh, Rob didn't make it home from work. Night shift, it just didn't... He just didn't make it home. He had almost made it. It was like the uh, second last day of a two-week span of nights. And uh, we don't know what happened. Um, It was weird. What happened to me that day was like a movie, a really bad, cheesy Sunday afternoon movie that you watch with tissues. I was sound asleep, and you hear the knock on the door, and you don't really connect Oh, what's that? You know, I thought, oh, Rob locked himself out because we had a double door system. I thought I may have locked the vestibule door and he couldn't get in because the key for that never worked. He swore. It's like he didn't have a key for his own fucking house. But that wasn't it. So I got up and I look around and I see the uh, the police cruiser 
outside the door and then I see the two uh, officers standing there and I'm like, oh, what? Like your stomach drops and you're thinking, what happened? And then I actually yelled out for Rob because I thought maybe he fell asleep in the basement. It was something, it was somebody else. I thought maybe it was his mom, maybe it was his dad, maybe it was my mom, maybe it was somebody else. You know, so many things run through your head at that point. And I open the door and they're like, is this Rob Porter's residence? And uh, I'm like, yes. Are you Mrs. Porter? Yes. Can we come in? Fuck. So I let them in. And at this point, uh, the kids were asleep until they heard. They, the police wear really loud shoes. I, I, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they could have been a little bit more stealthy so that I could have actually, um, or something, you know, just a, a little bit more tenderfoot coming into the house because those boots were what made the kids come downstairs and they heard from the police what happened to their father and they didn't hear it from me in a little bit more of a protected uh, conversation. But that's probably not the worst part of the whole situation, but that was the beginning of it anyway. And from that point, I don't even remember what happened. Everything turned into uh, a swirly blur. And uh, then all of a sudden there was 15 people at my house. It was a very strange, surreal day. And uh, the funny thing was... um, I thought, okay, with all these people here, I'll have my kids here and everything, but uh, my oldest daughter, she she wanted to maintain her perfect attendance record at school. She went to school because she couldn't deal. She couldn't deal with all the people in the house, and she wanted to be with her friends, so I let her go. So she was at school, and they had counselors following her around, which was good, because the principal called me. They were like, do you really want her here? Like... What's going on? I'm like, it's her choice. She's old enough to make that decision for herself. So that was, uh, that was the day. I think for about a week, I didn't know which end was up. I had uh, a lot of people at my house, uh, thankfully, kind of guiding me. They were like, okay, Amy, you need to eat. Okay, I'll eat something. They put something in front of me. I think I ate two bites. And then, uh, okay, Amy, you need to rest. Okay. So I'd go and lie down and I'd stare at the ceiling for hours. I couldn't sleep. You try to remember something. Like when somebody goes, whether it's your mom or your dad or your spouse or unfortunately a, a child or something, in my mind the, the only thing I wanted to do was remember everything about Rob that I could. I had this little journal that I would scratch things in and I would just write stupid shit that Rob would say. I would write all the stuff that uh, he liked to do his favorite t-shirt. Um, I tried to write down what he smelled like. That was very difficult to, <laughs> to write down that. But uh, you try to get all that stuff out because you think you're going to forget. And because you've got so much else going on with your whole life. And then the piece de resistance with all that is within four hours of them telling me that Rob had been killed. They were like, oh, Here's the funeral director's name. You need to go and plan a funeral. What? You know, you, you, what's going on? You have no idea. So I started that. And I still hadn't even uh, seen Rob at this point yet. I was panicked. I called my friend. And uh, I'm like, you're the only one who's going to listen to me because no one else is listening. I need to find Rob. 
and he's like, okay. Like, he dropped everything. He stopped his car. He said, hold on a second. He put me on hold. He called his work. And he said, I'm not coming in. I don't know how long. Could be days. Whatever. I'm not coming in today. I need to help my friend. He came back on the line. He said, I'm coming. And within uh, an hour, he was there. And then his wife was there. And then we went and found Rob. I had to go to Hamilton. And that's where they had him. Um, he uh, had already had all his procedures done. Because when there's a single car accident, they have to do an autopsy. So they had already had all that horrible stuff done. So he was in the uh, the viewing area, which is very much like the shows. They've got a, a horrible, cold little room that smells terrible. And you go down there. It's in the basement of the hospital. Like, heaven forbid they could put it in a nice... But no, it's cold and damp and dark. And then there's your person. So that was the funny thing about that day is that actually made me feel better because he was missing for hours. I didn't know. But then as soon as I saw him, it's like, okay, like... I can process this. This is easier for my brain to kind of wrap my head around. And uh, then I did. At that point, something clicked in my head. And I was worried about the kids at that point. Because now it's like, okay, I've got these this out of the way. Now I need to go back home. So we rushed back home. And then uh, we started our journey from there. It's... Um, Sorry, it's, uh, it's been a long time since I've actually rehashed the whole story. I don't mind talking about it. I never have. I'm just trying to remember details. Oh, the fun... Oh, I remember one funny bit. Um, I remember going in to the, uh, the funeral home and we started the process. I had Rob's parents with me. Rob was kind of a spicy dude. He liked his heavy music. He had long hair down to his butt when uh, we first met. He actually had nicer hair than most of my girlfriends. And I remember Rob saying once that um, he wanted a Viking funeral if he ever went. I think he was being sarcastic or silly or joking, but I actually asked the funeral director. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, can, I, can we have a Viking funeral pyre? And the look on their face was funny um what's a viking funeral basically what he wanted was to be a, a big wooden raft floated out into a lake and somebody with uh archery skills was to dip their arrow into fire and launch a lit poetically this arrow was to go across and land perfectly onto this raft into the middle of the lake and whoo Everything lights on fire, and then you just watch their essence float up into the sky. Everybody's standing on the beach, and it's very dramatic. It, it would have been lovely, but the... Uh, There's bylaws. Well, that's what I'm looking for here, because uh, just another little blip from my book and how it would have been helpful, but this little bit, I said, uh, the fucking asshole wanted a, a Viking funeral pyre. You're not allowed to have one, by the way. It's against some city regulation or bylaw. You should have seen the look on the placating funeral director's face when I asked for one. Did it cost extra, I asked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the comical O face paired with the stuttering platitudes affirmed my inference. The answer was no. <laughs> I guess not many people asked for that. So, yeah, I, I wasn't allowed, so I had to have the boring... 
funeral at the funeral home and I was actually I was really pissed I wanted to have a fanfare I wanted to have something a little bit more I don't know more our style but we had it everybody else's style people always say the worst kind of funeral is the one where there's nobody there there was hundreds of people there it was exhausting Mm -hmm. I had my uh I had my tequila flask with me but my uh, my aunt, she was like, no, you can't stand up at the front of your husband's funeral drinking out of a flask. That's inappropriate in my head. I'm like, why the hell not? I can do whatever I want. So she took really good tequila out of my flask and she put it in a bathroom Dixie cup and mixed it with bathroom water. It was horrible. So I'm sitting there with this little cup at the front trying to calm my nerves with a little bit of the tequila, but it was watered down. It was horrible and it was just nasty but um it it helped it it was all right i think funerals are ass backwards yeah you know when you're on the side of you know when it's your immediate family that's passed away and you have to make like fucking decisions i know right away it's so unfair you know what i love because it's societal expectation I loved the part when they showed you the uh, the casket catalog. That's lovely. You yeah. know? It, it's like the Sears catalog, you know? Yeah. And all yeah. of a sudden, it's like, would you like a silk line? Would you like oak? Would you like teak? Yeah. That disgusted me. Yeah. Because uh, a cremation, I figure Viking funeral pyre, that many one creation, that, cremation, That's about right? as close as you're going to get, yeah. Yeah, so I, I admit, I, uh, I went for the lower end, which, you know, I was embarrassed for for weeks afterwards, I was very embarrassed that I picked that. But in, in the end, I've come to terms with it where it's like, he was cremated. It doesn't really matter. It's not like I was buying uh, a car. You know, it, it's, it's something yeah, that was, yeah. it held a temporary purpose. But it's just ridiculous that the waste yeah. of this industry really brings to light. There's so much ridiculous. I don't, for the record... I don't care if I ever have uh, a funeral. I will. I don't want a casket. I want to be. I want the Viking funeral pyre now. <laughs> <laughs> Please, I know. We between uh, all my people that I know, I think I can find somebody who knows who can light an arrow and put it right, uh, right in my uh, left butt cheek and light me on fire you in know, the middle of the lake. Or get shot out of a cannon. Or <laughs> you know what? I thought about a firework. That's the funny thing. I can laugh about it now. Before I wasn't laughing about. It, but the options for death are infinite. Uh, anyway, how do you take care of Amy today? You know, there's a lot of things I do for uh, mental health. Very shortly after, uh, probably about a month after Rob passed, I made a few decisions for myself that seemed really important because, like I had said, I needed to uh, not only think of myself, but I had my kids to make sure that they made it through this process all right. Because it's very, it's challenging uh, for people to lose anybody. But when it's your parent and when your kids are really young, it doesn't always process and you don't want it to damage your kids, right? So I, I went and got counseling. I went and talked to somebody because I kept saying to everybody, I go, this is too big for me. This is something that I can't handle. I was going weekly for months and months I've gained a lot of really good uh, coping mechanisms and tools. The, the grief still comes. It's funny. People say, uh, 
it goes away, sure. Uh, it's the pain that goes away, the sharpness of it. Not the actual grief, though, because you still have that... It's funny, I'll talk out loud, and it's like I'm talking to Rob at home. And uh, then I'll clue in, I'm like, oh, Amy, you're an idiot. So my oldest daughter, she will say that um, dad is uh, right there, because we've got his ashes in the dining room on one of my hutches. But we have it. I like how we've done it, and I've done this on purpose for the kids. It's visible. I put the kids' tests there, so it's like dad has seen the test. Ember likes to put all the teeth that she loses <laughs> in this little box. So, yeah, we have that. Um, it, it's like a memory magpie spot. Uh, there's pictures. There's all kinds of stuff. It looks like a junk heap, but it's memories, right? So we've got that to help. But for myself as well, I, uh, I write. I go to the gym. I love exercise. I've always been, let's see, this is one of the things that I guess not reinvented, but I've reestablished for myself. I used to love going to the gym and uh, banging plates together and just, I don't know, there's something about the, uh, the endorphins that works for me. I, I, frankly, I feel like a superwoman sometimes nice. I go there and I have a trainer which is more for accountability than I don't need a trainer, but it's nice to have somebody there that's not necessarily your friend, you know, because your friends, when you go to the gym, I find it's like, oh, well, let's kind of not do this today or not do that today. I, I pay this person so that they kick my ass so that I get the workout that I, I want and I'm getting it. I, when Rob passed, I was just shy 200 pounds. And now I'm not super skinny, but I can, uh, I can kick some ass. I think I can lift stuff. I've done stuff around the house. That's probably not, I shouldn't have done by myself. And she can boulder like nobody's business. You know, rock climbing, that was fun. It beat me up. My legs were black and blue for days afterwards and my knuckles and my hands. I will say that, uh, that was it was a challenge, but I've never backed down from a challenge ever in my life now anyway. Challenges are kind of the breath of life for me. Mm. I like to keep myself entertained, I guess. But I've always been a competitive girl. Everything I've ever done, like with Rob and I, we would be sitting there in the kitchen chopping up carrots or something for dinner. And it's like, who got it done first, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> or uh, who could fold the laundry the quickest, you know, competitive. Is, it's fun. I, I'm, it's ridiculous, but it's a little, it's all, it's inherent in my character. So I, it is what it is. So that's part of it too, is I'm accepting of myself. I'm less harsh on myself for getting upset about things. I am less harsh on other people. Um, I kind of bulldoze my way through life sometimes. And uh, some people, unfortunately, kind of get left in the ditch on the side. But I'm not, I'm not too worried about that. They're not my people. They're not part of the people that uh, are helping. Because I've got a lot of help, too. That is part of my mechanism for... Uh, keeping going. I've got fantastic people that I've known for a long time. I've got fantastic people that I'm getting to know. Um, I enjoy getting to know new people. Everybody's got a story to tell. Everybody has got adventures in their life. Uh, Everybody has had troubles. And, you know, 
I think that's fantastic to just communicate uh, with people like you guys doing this. This is, uh, this is learning about each other and this is how life becomes interesting and beautiful and just adding to your life with people that sprinkle weirdness or fun or information. You can learn something from everybody. I think a lot of people can relate to that. As you gain responsibilities, go through life changes, have mortgages, careers, Mm -hmm. sometimes you go down paths you don't necessarily realize that's not what's in your heart. Yeah, you're almost on autopilot. Autopilot, that's what I would put it, because you don't choose that to go into debt with a mortgage. You don't choose that to be overwhelmed with your job. It's just stuff that happens. But if you make... Uh, cognizant decisions, you know, like that you realize what you're doing, then sometimes it takes a tragedy in order for that to happen. Some people are lucky where they can just flick a switch and they're going, I was not one of those people. I probably would have stayed in a rut with Rob for a long time. But because of the, the drastic nature of what happened to me, I was able to really look and dig into myself a little bit and establish uh, what I wanted and we've got goals, our family. Myself, I've got personal goals, but with the kids, mm-hmm. I've got goals. Some of them, they're still a little soft on. They're not quite on board with mommy, but I'm working on it, you know. Mm-hmm. I keep telling them that um, they can have a dirt bike or they can have this kind of that. And yeah, I want to, yeah. I want to, st- like. What are your goals? Well, short term, I want to get my house put back together because I need a sanctuary. I need a place mm. to not be falling apart. Um,. I'm going to help that, Amy build her gym in her garage. And yes, Wiz is going to help me build a gym in the garage. That'll be lovely. Uh, cheaper than... Uh, that's my short term. Um, kind of middle ground is I, I want to make sure that the kids are successful. You know, that's got to be a priority for me as well. But long term, once everything's kind of sorted out, I am looking for property. I want to start my own business. I have uh, goals of having acreage. And having, as silly as it sounds, I want to rent yurts to people. <laughs> and it's it's silly, but, you know, in the, I have always pictured myself living somewhere that wasn't a, 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 like a box. I hate square houses. I honestly do. Mm-hmm. In my head, I, I would lo- like when I saw Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit houses, I literally stood oh, up yeah. when I saw them. And I was, I was like, my heart was racing and I'm like, I want to live in a house like that. It's I want be- to be a hobbit. I would, I don't know about the feet. I want to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I But, uh, you yeah, know, yeah. just that kind of abstract, out of the box kind of thinking, I love that. And I thought that that was beautiful. So I looked into it and they have these, um, these concrete dome houses that you could get, they're air form. So mm-hmm. what you do is they make a big balloon and they blow it up, and then they put uh, rebar and shotcrete, and they form your house. You can have it so it's subterranean if you want. You can have it on the surface if you want. It doesn't really matter. I want one of those. That is one of my goals for myself, so I'm going to have my own little bubble dome, and then my yurts, and then I'm going to run my business, maybe teach some bushcraft seminars and things, maybe not. That's kind of up in the air as to whether I'll do it, but... uh, when I retire, I'm going to be living up there in my uh, my hundred acre wood, happily. Um, 
My kids aren't necessarily on board. They want to stay with their friends. And you know what? They've lost enough. I think I can compromise with them to put my goals on maybe a hiatus mm-hmm. a little bit so that uh, they get a little bit of what they want. Hopefully I live to uh, 80. I'll be able to do it. So it won't take me that long. I figure 10 years and I'll have uh, an empty house anyway. I've had to... Uh, pare down some of the things that I used to enjoy. But at the same time, I'm finding new things that I enjoy. Like, I still really like to get out, do activities, do try new things. It's exhilarating to see the look on someone else's face when they're doing something for the first time. Oh, know? yeah. It's almost childlike. It is. Yeah. And when you can share I an experience that. with somebody that you know has touched both of you in a way it's it's cool i think that's one of the biggest appeals for me about adventures yes the unknown right exactly you do feel like a child again and i'm curious what have you learned about yourself i've learned that i'm capable of doing anything i put my mind to i'm not i'm not the kind of uh i've never been the kind of woman to go oh i can't do that now i'm just more confident about it my washing machine broke. I went on YouTube. I watched a video and I fixed it twice. <laughs> <laughs> I fixed that thing twice because it was a pain in the butt. The locking mechanism on the door. That was horrible. Um, I've done a little bit of car maintenance. Just little tinkery things. I've learned how to drive the trailer. Do, I'm swinging tools more often, which was usually more the, the male-oriented job in the house. Yeah. I'm learning that I'm very capable of uh, getting things accomplished if I put my mind to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm very determined. I'm not one to, like I said, I'm very competitive. I don't like the idea of failure. Even though it is in a, it's some things, you know, it's a learning process. You learn things. You, you fall, you get back up. I understand that. And that's part of the process. I'm not saying that I haven't fallen. I've fallen many times. But the, it's, the, it's the getting back up. That's the challenging part sometimes. And I think I'm getting better at it. I find that um, the more I immerse myself in things that I've never tried, the better you get. Um, Like even when we went uh, climbing, I just looked at it. I'm like, okay, it's a little daunting. This is like a 15-foot wall with some little fiddly bits to put my, uh, my hands and my feet on. Okay. Let's just throw myself at it and let's just do it. Like, I, why? what's stopping me from doing this? It's, it's up here, mm-hmm. right, that stops you. So I said to Winston, she is a serious, hardcore bitch. We are going to go on a backpacking trip together. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we I are. I, I, And we were going to go on something that's super adventurous and hard. And I can tell this is going to be awesome. It's funny because she's always telling me, like, I've got to dial it back. There's well, something no, no. different about... Going with somebody where you're, where they're taxed, and I almost feel like you're you're beyond me a little bit, you know, in some ways. It's nice of you to admit it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but there's something also empowering about just strong ass bitches going. I don't know. We're in a world now where. Women can be a lot more empowered about things. Men have always been considered strong for the most part. On, on, an, on an average for humanity, men have been considered the uh, kind of put on the pedestal for strength more than women. Women 
are in a transition that uh, you can be strong and confident, but that scares some people. They don't like that. They like women to be more timid, more, I don't know, not as oh my God. outspoken. Of course, but, but the I've only had pe- this problem. But the and, only people that want that are weak-ass bitches. Well, I... <laughs> Like I can't. The, the the people the people who think women are supposed to be demure and weak, yeah, you know, like the fairer sex, are weak themselves. Well, don't get me wrong, women. I, I I'm not very good at being a girl, but I try hard. It take it, it takes a lot more effort for me to be f- like feminine, to do my hair, to do my makeup and stuff. I I consult my teenage daughter for a lot of my makeup because it's like I'm I'm okay. I, I'm out of my element. I'm so used to doing things, uh, but. Women are the beautiful side of humanity, and men are the strong side, I guess. But things are changing. There's all kinds of complications with that. But basically, I guess what I'm getting at is women are learning how to empower themselves to do things that we didn't think capable 100 years ago. Yeah, And I think that's a beautiful thing. I respect uh, a guy who can respect that. Rob was always one to support me in doing my crazy endeavors. I don't want to depend on people. It's nice to have offers of help, and it's nice to to have help. But if it's something I can do on my own, I'll just do it. So not always a thing I was able to, to do, but now it's, 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 my life demands that, that mm-hmm. I do that. Um, I've, I've grown. I don't think that I'm... I'm not the same per- woman that I was... I think Rob would not necessarily recognize me if he was to hmm. be capable of coming into the room and uh, see that. See, I don't believe he's anywhere. It's funny being an atheist. I do. I do believe people are around. I do. I don't. So I do. two to one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not a contest, no, I do. though. Everybody's no, I, allowed to no, believe whatever makes absolutely. you go to sleep at yeah. night. And yeah. I don't. I don't judge anybody. So some. Some of my closest friends are religious, and we are able to have nice debates yeah. about things. And I find it interesting because she asks me, it's like, well, how do, you, how do you deal with this or what do you do with that? And, you know, I'll be honest with you, that was one of the challenges I had after Rob passed was I had a little bit of a crisis because you really want your person to be somewhere when they go. For myself, I was thinking like, okay... Rob is not physically in his body. His body is a shell. I've had it cremated. And now he's dust in a box on my shelf. Horribly. <laughs> that's that's physically what happened to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just believe that his energy went somewhere else. And it's not him anymore. He himself, as, as Rob, is not anywhere. But I, I questioned that for a while. Because you do sit there and think, it would be nice if they went somewhere and they're waiting for you. Well, and I think that's why for a lot of people, religion is what it is, is because it purports to give these answers and it gives a comfort. It's comforting. Exactly. Yeah. And we both sort of probably run into the same issue, which is it'd be nice if that's what it was. It's important to uh, keep the memory of someone alive. I hope that I'm able to do that. I hope that, Anybody that I become involved with in the future understands that Rob is a significant chunk of my life. That Mm -hmm. was 24 years, 
and that's not going to disappear. I'm going to talk about him with my children. Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about him myself with my family because I'm not, I'm not going to be the one to kill him again by forgetting. Nature has been important to my healing process because it's always been important to me going out into the woods Mm -hmm. and fire. Oh my gosh, fire. It's primal for me. It's funny. There's something about sitting around a campfire talking and just that whole, it's kind of what pulled society together, I think, is the camaraderie around a fire. Uh, We came out of the dark and into the light because we figured out how to rub two sticks together and make warmth or we stole it from something that was lit on fire by lightning or something, right? But that has always been uh, part of my personality to some degree because it's, I don't know, nature, it's beautiful. You can sit in the forest, it's silent, but it's noisy Mm -hmm. at the same time. You can hear all the birds singing, but at the same time you can still hear your heartbeat and your breath. You know, you can walk into somewhere, into forests that are hundreds of years old and these trees you know you always wonder if uh, the forest could tell you a story it could be like an ancient story you know like the redwoods in california i want to go hug one of those that's on my bucket list is to go and hug yeah. one of the giant uh, sequoias <laughs> yeah. out there so but yeah nature is uh it's healing for me just as much as music you know music has been another component i listen to everything from uh, heavy, classical, a dash of dancey techno, but that's only when I'm cleaning because that's necessary. To keep Gives going. you the energy. Yeah, that's it. But honestly, uh, last winter, one of the nicest memories I have of me time by myself is I took my new skis and I went out to uh, Shades Mills mm-hmm. and it was snowing, just that nice fluffy. So it was like about minus eight or nine outside it was still it was crisp but it was nice I had my headphones on with something nice and low and I was just skiing going through there it was just perfect and it was healing I was there for two hours and I went in there with like a heavy like a lot of thought but when I came out I was peaceful you know I figured a lot of stuff out on my journey through there well there seems to be a a thing that comes from uh, traumatic events really kind of illustrate the the need for being mindful, mm-hmm. right? The, because most people go through life uh, fixated on the past, afraid of the future, mm-hmm. but not thinking about the present. You have to live in the present. Like that is... yeah. Yeah, th- this is where you are right now. Like here, right now, there's no other time like other than what we're doing at this exact moment. So you have to be able to embrace that and take what you can, enjoy the people that you're with at the time. Sure, you can make plans for the future, but that at some point is going to be the present and you're going to have to own that. You're going to have to live that. So I have kind of a responsibility that I look at in my head... Um, Rob was only 43 when he passed away. He had a lot of dreams. He had a lot of things in his head that he wanted to do. And he never got to do them. Um, He didn't even get the luxury of retiring from his job. I look at it like... I would like to... 
not not do it for him because that's not possible. But I'm going to make it so that I'm not wasting my life because I'm inspired by him that he couldn't do it anymore. So I want to do adventure crazy things. I wouldn't want to jump out of an airplane. I don't know why. They're, they're beautiful when they're running. I love them. They're, why would you do that? But I think it's just one of those things that when you're in that moment... You've got a great view for one. You're doing something that is not, it's a yeah. small percentage of the population that does that. Yeah. So, and I think the exhilaration and the endorphins is going to be one of those things. It's going to be top notch. It's going to be like mm-hmm. one of the top three things that I think I'll ever attempt to, to do. That's, but it's going to take bravery for me. It's really going to be okay. Somebody's going to have to push my ass out of this airplane. Well, because, it, especially if you do a tandem jump. You know, somebody's humping your back the whole ride down. <laughs> well, you know, I have found and with others that have passed that I've been really close to a big turning point in my life. Mm-hmm. And I see that my opportunity to be here now, uh, I don't want to take, it's almost like if I don't live life, it's like I'm wasting my life. It's almost like you owe that to them. You know what I mean? Yes. And so with uh, my father-in-law, he passed away and far too young. He was in his 60s and he was one of the best people ever. Um, now I often will push myself because I'll do a gym. Yes. I'll jump in that cold water. It's funny how That people... lake that I always pretend there's sharks in there. <laughs> well, do you know? it's funny because how I'm... they inspire you to oh, want yeah. to do the best that you can. Yeah. Because all they wanted to do was live. Yeah, if they're not there then maybe we are doing a little bit for them. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm doing most of it for myself because I want I want to be able to just have that exhilaration. I don't want to waste my time here. Well, and I think one of the interesting things is that thinking that you're uh, either doing it as a tribute to somebody who passed or... Uh, you know, having them remind you, yeah, that might be the motivation or whatever that a lot of times is just the impetus that gets you in motion. And in the end, you're still doing it for yourself. Actually, it's, it's funny that you've mentioned that because with our weightlifting, I often get into the zone and do something difficult and have to think about, honestly, I go into this really morbid zone. Yeah. She's a weirdo. There's nothing, nothing's weird. Oh, I, I get into the zone. Process, I get though. into the zone of really getting digging deep when I think about when people are passing away, what that must have been like, or that when they were going through cancer treatment, their last breath. Like I think about all that, and lately it's been about me. So they initially inspired you. But I wonder, that. I wonder how much of that is a female thing, just in the sense that because I, I've just heard this quite a bit that women have a hard time putting themselves first. Well, yes. Guys, we don't have that problem. Okay, well, guys have always been the one to leave the home, go hunting, go fishing, go make the money, bring home the bacon. To us women who have been dedicated to rearing children and nurturing and... Our last responsibility is to ourselves. Guys have to take care of their bodies physically in order to be able to perform the hunting, the the fishing. I'm using old analogies here. Because all of this stuff is so ingrained into our brains. Well, yeah. So from a biological and evolutionary standpoint, men have been the, the hunters. We've, women have been the gatherers essentially of 
and we gather the children, we gather the food, we gather the home, we, but we do everything for everyone else first. And the last person to get taken care of is our own physical self. Do you find that's changed now? Absolutely. I mean, it was very difficult for me being also that I was pulling myself out from uh, like anxiety and depression. I had, I wasn't clinically diagnosed but I knew it was happening to me. I knew that I was dark. Like I've seen, uh, I've seen rock bottom. It's not a pretty place. It's very easy to kind of get lost in the mire in the bottom, you know, the muddy pit. You have to be able to, to look up and working out and taking care of myself was looking up for me. That was my physical body is not going to survive this process. It is physically possible. Did you know to die of a broken heart? After the death of a spouse, it's very common. It's basically the connective tissue in your heart degrades. Like your heart enlarges and it's not able to to do uh, what its function is. I was afraid because I I had heart pain for a while and I'm thinking, oh crap, something like this is happening to me. You know, I don't want this. So I've thought physically I need to do something in order to motivate myself. Ironically, an old co-worker of mine who uh, left the job that I'm at and went to do her own thing. She was doing a personal training out of the blue. She called me and it was exactly when I needed it. It was very, uh, the synchronicity of it was very strange, but she was like, come on out. I need clients. And it's like, I'll come out. I need a trainer. (laughs) (laughs) So the next week we met up and you know, it was like we'd, we'd hadn't missed a beat. We were just friends again And then she was kicking my ass in the gym. And it was very important for me to to do that so that I had the physical strength so that my mental strength could also be repaired as well. It was in tandem. It was like I had to do it in parallel. I love doing the physical crazy stuff. I do some stuff at the gym now that's nuts. Like what? I can do a mean plank. I could probably, we could plank right now and I could probably beat all of (laughs) y'all. Yeah, the, no. the thing with planks at a certain point, it, they just get boring. No, I know they're not they're not <laughs> exciting and all, but I find it. I've see I've had abdominal surgery. I never thought I'd see an ab again in my life. I it was honestly it was off my list. It was just I'll just chalk it up. I'll have the little mummy pooch forever. No more. No. So now I, I that's fun. That's a challenge. I don't know. Everything at the gym is a challenge. I tell my trainer, it's like, don't be nice. Let's just do this. Think of stuff that's hard. Yeah, I think you've gotten a little soft. I'm going to regret this. I'll come with you guys. I'll show but you are, some of the tricks that I've are learned. Are you not stronger than you were quite a while ago? I am, which is weird. It doesn't have to be painful. It just has which to be the right... Which is why I have liked working out with Winston. It has to be the right dose. Yeah. We did arms today and oh, it was so... But it's good though. Like I said, the endorphins and everything. It's, it's, it's like a, a rush. It's a high. And uh, it's yeah, the like same... They, with doing anything like climbing a mountain, riding yeah. a motorcycle, doing all that stuff, it puts something chemical yeah. in your brain and it's magical. <laughs> it's primal. It's kind of what your brain is supposed to be doing. And we are so used to our monotonous lives. We do things, repetitive tasks. We do th- like Rob's job. He would do something every 53 seconds, every fucking day for eight hours a day. And he'd come home and his brain would be mush. And he would not be inspired. He wanted to sleep because he was just so used to the monotony. 
at some point, he didn't even want to do anything crazy anymore. The thought of going camping with the kids sure made me go nuts because I was the one who had to plan it because he was working all the time. But he didn't even want to do it anymore because he was just so like stuck in the rut. And I've refused to be stuck in a rut anymore. I refuse to have that monotony to my life. Even if I have to sprinkle a little bit of weirdness everywhere to do what I want, if I decide to go canoeing for a day, random, spontaneous. Mm-hmm. All right, who's coming with me? You know, if somebody's online on Facebook, it's like, all right, I'm going to bug you today. <laughs> you know, um, if some, yeah, if my friend calls me and I decide that it's like, okay, I'm going to go and uh, we're going to go to the trampoline park today. All right, let's go. Whatever. It's just, it's random. It's spontaneous. That's kind of how I'm living uh, a little bit with, uh, with my mental health. I guess it's good for me. Monotony. It kills people. Yeah, it really does. That, and that, that's sort of one of the things that I like with sort of the way interesting people you know, kind of like structure that life. It's these new challenges. It's it's the Renaissance person. But that idea of somebody who maybe is into music, they're athletic and they write and they um, speak well. Well, um, you're willing to dabble. And you know what? You're not guaranteed to be good at everything you try, but I think you should be willing to try anything. Yeah. Because so, you never know what you're passionate about or what's, what's those exactly. things that just make your balls tingle. Well, or lady balls, pardon me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What are some final things you want to say to those that are listening that may be going through some tough challenges themselves? Don't be afraid to go through the things that are hard because those are the things that are going to make you better when you actually get to the good things. You have to struggle. Struggle really does define character, I think. Some people walk through life with a kind of laissez-faire attitude on certain things because they haven't experienced things that are raw and hard and almost impossible to deal with. This was a situation that it broke me. I was a shell of a human being for a very long time. And it took months of hard work. Humor helped me. My sense of humor has darkened, but it's still there. And when you can laugh about things that are, are capable of killing some people, I've never ever in this whole experience ever wanted to hurt myself. And I hope that someone in this similar situation, if they need to hear that, is it's not going to end anything other than you. You can look up. And it's sometimes the hardest thing. Sometimes you need a hand to hold. Sometimes you need many. You need a community. Rob was my best friend. I loved him for 24 years, and I was very privileged to have him as uh, a significant component of my life. I am proud to be the mother of his children. I have never known a more decent human being, honestly, and he inspired me to keep going because, honestly, what other choice did I have? I really didn't have another choice other than to... uh, excel in my mind so find what inspires you find what makes you tick find what tiny inspiration of something if it's your children if it's writing if it's going for a walk find anything that can inspire you to keep walking that one step at a time to get to the other side because I think 
I can safely say at this point that I'm healed from the death of my husband. And it was not easy to pull off. My heart is happy at this point. It took some really shitty stuff. But I'm happy where my life is leading. There's some things that are really positive that I'm looking forward to. There's some things that my kids, I get to see them grow up. And I get to see my best friend's face in all three of my kids. And that's what keeps me here. So I'm inspired and I plan on to continue to be inspired. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to get the story out. Well, folks, this has been Live Wild Radio. Amy, thank you for coming over. As always, Catherine. And remember, get outside, get dirty. You only got one life to live. And just one more thing. Because sometimes it's important to know that you can't always trust a fart. (laughs) Sometimes they get away from you. Sometimes, yes. (laughs) Well, we've had the sphincter discussion. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. the body has many of them. (laughs) Yeah. So, um... (laughs) You can edit that out if you need to as well. No, like... Uh, (laughs) Just for the record, and I know she'll edit this out, Catherine... (laughs) Catherine has a tendency to edit out my humor. Um, and for the record, I'm, I'm voicing an objection to it. People, people have listened to our first podcast and said, oh, it's like that, that Winston's like really serious. Like very, he's very passionate about what he but very serious by about it. By the book. Yeah. yeah, by the book. Yes, oh, yeah. That's correct every now and then. That, that's me, the, by yes. the book guy. No, I'm being, I'm being censored is what it is. <laughs> There was so much humor.